Welcome to the Women's Business Workshop Podcast, Episode 93. This is Robin Walker, host and business coach for female entrepreneurs, small business owners, and freelancers. A topic that comes up often when working with clients is how to manage expectations and boundaries. Who gets to make the rules? How do you stick with them? And how do you communicate them to clients? What happens when you get asked to do something you maybe sort of don't want to do, but they can pay you? We're going to explore these topics today in my interview with Rebecca Malatke-Meslin. You may have heard Rebecca back on a previous episode or at the last Lakeside Conference. She's the founder of Pleasantly Aggressive Coaching and Consulting, where she helps women lead more confidently, authentically, and unapologetically. Rebecca combines a background in social research with 20 years of sales, marketing, communications, and school leadership to create an in-depth and engaging experience for her clients through one-on-one coaching, group work, and public speaking. Rebecca is also the host of the Confidently You Women in Leadership podcast. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Rebecca. Hi, thanks so much for having me back, Robin. I was very excited to see you on my schedule today. (laughs) So you are back at the conference this year. Rebecca was a speaker last year and was also on the podcast. And I'll put that episode in the show notes. This time you're back. You had one of our favorite sessions last year. And I have heard people talking about since then ways that they've shown up things they've asked for that have helped grow their business. So it was a very impactful session. This year, you are back to talk about negotiating and asking for what you want. So we're kind of taking it to the next step. Very excited. You can go to womensbusinessworkshop.com slash lakeside conference and join Rebecca and I in Southern Wisconsin coming up in February for the Lakeside Conference. So we're going to just chat today and talk about boundaries in your business and ways to say yes to things, ways to say no to things. I'll bring up some of the things I've heard my clients talk about, and you can do the same, Rebecca, where business owners are struggling to maybe put those boundaries in place or even know what kind of boundaries they want in their business as they're growing those change and what language can go around saying no and not feeling like a jerk. Uh-huh. or turning away business when there could be a better way to do it. So just jumping in, when you hear the word boundaries, what do you think of? Uh, it's, I think, such a hot button word right now in a great way, right? I think for women in particular, there's such a need for us to recognize that our time and our energy is limited and we want to invest it in the things that bring us joy, and for business owners, in the things that bring us income, (laughs) things that bring us clients. And I think for so many women who have experienced burnout, they are looking for opportunities to create, you know, a life that isn't that, right? A life that is like abundance, a life that is in a business that is profitable, But, you know, so many of us have been taught this hustle culture of you got to work 24 hours a day, you got to do all of these things. And that's the only way to be successful. And, you know, one of the things I love about this podcast and the work that you do with your clients, Robin, is that you're really trying to teach us smart ways to do business. It isn't about doing more all the time. It's about saying yes to the right things and making good use of our time. But beyond that, you know, those boundaries of saying no a lot of times to even prospective clients, right? And being able to say, no, I'm not going to do this 
this work because it doesn't serve me. It's outside of my scope, you know, and really recognizing that you you don't want to be in that scarcity mindset, right? Where it feels like you have to take everything on all the time to survive. We want to, we want to think about boundaries as a way to figure out what we do want to let in. Mm -hmm. Especially for any of you guys listening that have worked for someone else before where you didn't necessarily get to choose what you spent your time on. Someone else said, this is the client you're working with. This is who you have to serve. And so saying no to someone or saying, you know what? I don't really want to do that service anymore. Feels like you're being ungrateful or don't look the gift horse in the mouth that you're going to push away someone who's willing to pay you. Yeah. You know, when I think about marketing, this idea of we're trying to attract our ideal clients and there's something to be said for repelling the ones that you don't want, but I think about this a lot with women and women business owners and and my clients, because the idea of repelling somebody inherently goes against our brains thinking I have to be likable to everyone. Mm, yes. So if if I'm repelling clients, and I don't mean the ones you want, right? I'm meaning like your marketing messaging is so clear that it's only attracting the people you want to work with and it's repelling everybody else so that your funnel is like super streamlined. So your your sales cycle is cut in half, right? You're you're only, especially for solopreneurs, you're the only one maybe doing all of this work, but that goes directly against that mindset that we have to make everybody happy. We have to be people pleasers. We have to be likable to everyone. And that's, a, again, a very much a socialized thing that women at all ages are dealing with. I mean, I have clients in their 20s who... There's a part of me that like hopes this this next generation of like Gen Zs and millennials are feeling differently, but it's still so pervasive in our culture that women need to be likable and need to please others um, that even they still feel it. I think they're much more self-aware, but they are still looking for opportunities to take action, to not be a people pleaser and to be okay with what that feels like in the moment because repelling clients that don't meet your mission and don't, right, don't serve your purpose Again, that's such a good use of your time that you're only really focusing your time and energy on the people who align with what you're trying to do. But it can feel feel in that moment like they don't like me. Why don't these people like me? I need to be more likable. I need to have more followers. I need to have more leads. Because that, I think, is the pervasive, I think, for a lot of those, I don't want to say get rich quick schemes, but a lot of these people that are pushing, you know, mid-level marketing or they're pushing these other types of businesses that really require like a mass net to be thrown. And I know for a lot of the people listening right now, like that's not them. You know, most of your clients have are working in niche areas. They are, people listening are in a very specific business. So it, it, they probably are experiencing that challenge of what that feels like when it seems as though you need more, right? And you're scared that saying no to somebody means that you're going to limit your opportunities. That's a great point. It's probably the first time in our lives that we have actively tried not to please someone and yep. actively tried to repel someone other than maybe back when we were young in the bars. Yes. <laughs> Yes. certain people don't come talk to me. But in general, as an adult, it's probably the first time we have thought, I'm going to turn away this money. I'm going to turn away this person because it will cause me more anxiety, more stress. And I never really thought about it that way. Want to make everybody happy and please everyone. And it's the saying of, I don't care what people think about me, but I really care about what people think of me. Yep. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think most of us have had that client that maybe isn't the right fit, but you think, you know what, just this one time, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> Famous last words. It'll right. be fine. And they end up costing you more stress. They actually take up more of your time. They nickel and dime you more, or there's more drama and you just are unhappy with your work because you're not going to be able to please them because they are not the right fit. Even if we're at our best and have our best marketing, those people are maybe going to funnel through. And for me, I always suggest if you can nip that in the bud right in the beginning, but you have to have some kind of process where those people are being weaned out somewhere along the line. But let's say you do have someone that wants to pay you. And let's say it's for a service. Maybe you're a counselor or career coach or something, and you, you do have someone make it through and they're ready to pay you. What advice do you have for them as far as how do we say no? How do we bless and release those people without feeling crummy and without worrying we're going to create some horrible backlash on social media? How do we do this with grace? So I'll back it up a little bit because there's a couple of like very pragmatic things to consider. And then there's the mindset piece. So the first thing I would say is don't ignore the red flags. So in relationships, when we are lonely and we're looking for love or we're looking for friendship, we have a tendency to glance over the red flags because we're kind of in that desperate mode of like, I just want someone. I think it feels that way in business sometimes where some client potentially says something or does something that sends up a red flag, but we're like, I'm not in a place where I can reject this person. So I'm just going to be like, it'll be fine, right? It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And that's not trusting yourself. That's not trusting that inner voice, that gut. I think so my first piece of advice is listen to and pay attention to those red flags because that leads into my next couple of points, which is the next one is if possible, increase your prices for that person, knowing that they are going to cost you more time and more energy and more heartache. Now I know not everybody in their businesses is able to, to do that, but if it's going to cost you more time and energy that's not like you're just increasing your price for them being a pain in your butt. It's because it will be a bigger drain on your business and you need to be compensated for that. Um, the third thing is, you know, making sure your contracts are nice and tight for being able to fire clients, right? And to be able to let them go. And I know fire sounds harsh, but like that's that's really what it comes down to. Like there's no tiptoeing around that. Sometimes you have to. Now, the mindset piece around it and the conversation around it um, is where do our fears lie, right? And you mentioned like having this fear that there's going to be backlash on social media and or a bad Yelp review or whatever it might be. And so if we're going to let somebody go, how do we do that in a way that we feel good about? Now, checking our people pleasing, being aware of that. I think one of the most important things that I've learned is how can you have conversations with this person that are not adversarial, but are instead kind of like, I don't think it doesn't feel like this is working out for you. It doesn't feel like I'm able to provide the services that you're looking for. Right. And so you kind of take the spot of humility, even when you know you're that's not what's happening. And that's not to say I, need, I want you to lie to them, but it's to say like, this is how it feels right now is that this isn't a good fit any longer. I'm just not able to meet your needs. And I want to make sure that you get what you need from your coach or your chiropractor or your whatever. And I don't know that I'm the right person for you. Extra bonus points. If there is somebody you can refer them to. Now, I don't want you to dump off a problematic customer <laughs> on a friend, right? 
But sometimes I have this I have this person, Rebecca. <laughs> I think it'd be a great fit for you. Yeah, incoming. Um, but I do think that sometimes it is like a personality match thing. And some I and I have had I had somebody refer somebody to me that was a problem for them. And they're like, but I think you actually can can manage it. And I think you're what she needs. And that it ended up being a great fit for me in a way that I know why it wasn't a great fit for the other person, right? So that's all to say, like, you get bonus points if you can also point them in a direction even. like, And that might not be a referral to somebody. It might be saying, you know, when you're interviewing the next coach or your next whatever, these here's some questions you should ask them. So that when you're going into this, these are your specific needs. And I want to, I want to help you get those needs met. So again, it's, it's really like coming at it from a place of humility and then helping them think that it was their idea to exit just so they feel like it's their choice. People will always leave much happier that way. And we've all had the person that for whatever reason, they don't want the change for all the coaches and consultants out there. They are not coachable. Anything you suggest or work through, it is not going to work no matter what. You're not going to make progress with them. And I've had situations like that where then I say, I just feel like what I'm offering you isn't the right fit. You know, the whole language you said. And when I offer, would you like to discontinue? And they say, oh, no, 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 no. This is great. You're like, well, it doesn't appear that way. And then when you offer them a way out, sometimes then that's, enough of a nudge that behavior can change. Or if it doesn't, then you have, you know, that next step, but at least you've offered, if it's someone that you say, I'm not helping you, like you're not getting the transformation that I want you to get. So why are you here? Mm -hmm. Because that's the other thing. I don't want to take money from somebody if I'm not actually providing you with value. Like Mm -hmm. I know that you paid me and I know that we're here and we're showing up on these calls, but like, I also... That's an, I mean, that's kind of another segment, but like to have those honest conversations to say like, is this working for you? Does this person need it out? Like if I see that I don't feel like they're getting a lot out of it and then they can at least admit and say like, yeah, I'm really not. That's okay. It's okay to admit that. I mean, I, I hope we've done the work up until that point that that's not the result, but it does happen. So sure. I had someone recently ask me, they're just starting out in their business and they work with a certain type of corporation. And she was asking about pricing and said, well, they have this budget, so I have to give them the package at this budget. And they only pay by mailing a check 60 days later. And so I guess that's the way I have to do it. And so then that was a whole conversation about boundaries and setting up your process and she was newer. So for her, it felt like I have to take this if I want this client. So we did talk about some ways that she could adjust that, but reminding people, this is your business, you know, who gets to make the rules? How do you decide? And going into new agreements, you don't just have to take everything you get. Yeah. And I think it's challenging too. And like in that circumstance for her, when you're dealing with an organization or a corporation that clearly does business like this all the time, mm-hmm. especially if it's a larger company that's been in business a long time and you, you automatically feel like you're not in a position of power because you're new, you're figuring things out. So you do want to acquiesce sometimes, or you feel the need to acquiesce to whatever their, their process is. But, you know, and we'll talk about this at the conference a little bit, but like everything is negotiable. 
Everything is right, negotiable. Right. And what that means is not that you have to, you know, for, for your clients trying to negotiate with you, they're going to be thinking the same thing. So you have to be ready for that. But when you're negotiating on your own behalf for your business and somebody says we have 60 day terms, right? Like we're not going to pay you until 60 days after. Yes, you have to weigh all of these other aspects of that to determine if it's what's best for you and your business. And there, I think the tricky part, and I'm sure, you know, you've experienced this also with clients, Robin, is like there is no one answer. There is no one right answer to that because there's so many variables that play into that decision making. But again, it goes back to if something feels like a red flag, it is a red flag. If something doesn't feel right, trust your gut. And even though you may seem like the inexperienced one in that negotiation or in that contract, you also have gotten to that point because you have trusted that gut. So don't stop now. Sure. I had that also with a speaking event recently. It was for an online group, very lovely to work with. And it was a great experience overall. But when we were discussing the payment for the session, I sent the invoice and the person said, okay, I'll mail you a check. And I said, actually, there's a link right in the email that I sent it. You can just pay it right online. And she said, wonderful. That's so much easier. We always mail a check. So they just didn't know. They were mm -hmm. always doing it this way. So what I had said to that other woman is, have you ever asked them or said, this is how I typically accept payment? Are you able to do that form of payment? Here's why it works for companies like yourself. Maybe they just assume that's how you take payment because that's how they've always paid. But if you don't ever ask, then you're kicking yourself going, oh my gosh, I did all this work. I have to track down this person in the billing department. They haven't gotten the check yet. It's more time and energy or there's a fee. If you're going to be paying by check, mm -hmm. then it's more expensive or I require a deposit up front. And until I get the check, we don't set the date. You get to decide. Yeah. And I, I like what you said about you know, if you're going to pay by check, then here's what else I need. I think, you know, when we're selling our services or selling our goods, so oftentimes we, when again, I say everything is negotiable, that also doesn't mean that you have to give anything away. And what I mean by that is like, I had a client the other day who asked because she, a lot of my clients, I work in for nonprofits for the most part in schools. Uh, most of my clients are leaders in those spaces. And so they're using professional development dollars to pay for coaching with me. But I have a lot of private paid clients as well. And so, right, understanding the difference between those two clients and what their needs might be, one's paying out of pocket, one's paying out of a, a annual budget for a school or a, a nonprofit. One of them asked me, like, do you, how do you take payment? I take payment up front. Do you allow for monthly payments? Yes, that is, that is a space where I will negotiate with a client. A, a school doesn't want to make monthly payments. They want to pay you in one fall swoop. That's the end of it, right? They just want to cut a check and be done. Um, but an individual who's trying to budget their money in their household might say, like, can I pay you monthly? For me, that's fine because, again, my business is coaching, which means you don't pay me. We don't set, we don't have sessions. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a very easy kind of thing for me to say, yes, do would it be nice to have it all in one chunk and I can plan for it? Yes. But it's really no skin off my back for them to pay monthly if they if that's a special request for them. But I, again, I might say no. I might say, nope, That's this is how I do things, right? But I'm not losing any money mm -hmm. in my mind. There's a little extra paperwork that is time and that is money. But um, for me, it's really not a lot because I can automate all that stuff, right? So when I think about negotiation, I also think about like... Um, speaking engagements is a good one. 
you know, some organizations have a very specific budget. Like this is what we pay our speakers. Again, you're like, I, I know that you're not uh, trying to undercut my prices. I know that you just have set this budget and that's all you have. Mm-hmm. So I have to decide, is, is that it worth, worth it, it or not? Yeah. But there's other spaces to negotiate, right? Like what else could they give me? Can they give me the list of attendees? Can they give me, and you know, and now that I've been a speaker at your conference, you're very clear with your speakers about what they're getting in that exchange, right? So if, you know, if they're paying me a small portion of a budget, but they say, here's the other things that we can offer you to supplement it, right? So that's all to say, like, negotiation doesn't have to mean you come down on your prices. Right. This is what the price is for this package. If your budget doesn't allow for that, we can remove these things. Mm -hmm. And now it fits your budget. But I'm not giving away those things. And it's not really, I mean, I use the word fair in quotes, but just because I say my budget is this, why do I get to pay less? And then the person next to me, they have to pay full price and mm-hmm. we're equal just because I said from the start, I only have this much to give. Why do we get to get the same service? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. And I, I like what you're saying about the speaker when there's compensation or not compensation. At the end of the day, you have to decide is this worth it? Are there other ways that I'll be able to get clients or ROI from this event? Does working with this client at maybe a little bit of a discount to fit what they're looking for is their potential because that person is very affluent in our community and has a lot of connections and is going to give me three referrals in exchange for the difference in price. So like you said, if you are giving in on something, I feel like they should also be giving in on something. If you're going to be giving a part for unpaid work, essentially, there should be something on their part that they're matching. Yes, absolutely. And you, you know, you can decide if it's worth it for you or not, but sometimes those additional things are actually more worth it than the money because they bring you other business. Yep, absolutely. I totally agree. So that's a lot of boundary talk with process, customers, pricing. What about more in the social sphere? So a lot of us as coaches or consultants or maybe counselors, there sometimes is a blending of the line because you really get to know the person and you like them. So socially, there's especially with social media, it's kind of easy to have gray boundaries when it comes to, are we friends? Are we clients? Where are we? When a client sends me a Facebook friend request, am I allowing them into my space? And I know part of that depends on what you're using Facebook for, but I think there's more to it than that. I know I've had clients where we're going to meet for coffee or it's a potential client. So I'll give them my cell phone number for in case something comes up and then I get added to some text chain list or then they're asking things that really need to be in an email. Have you experienced that yourself? I just think it's a really tricky, tricky boundary to put in place. I I totally agree. And I think it really comes down to that setting of expectations uh, and sometimes you have to be in business for a little bit to do it and do it wrong to figure out how you want to do it right and what you what you want to put in place, what parameters to put in place. I think it is easy in the nature of the work that we're talking about, whether that's c- coaches, consultants, counselors. Uh, I would say even like healthcare professionals, because sometimes there's emergencies, so you end up with personal contact information or you find them on social media. But I always with my clients early on. I'm very clear with them about how they can reach me. 
and how they should reach me. And I'm very quick if I get a text because I do allow my clients to text me. I'm very quick to, if the conversation is really a, a question in nature that really is related to a work together, as opposed to like, for instance, I have a client in a job search right now. And I'm like, hey, text me when the interview's over. I just want to know how it went. Because I wanted her to feel like that was something she could quickly fire off to me. If she was asking me in-depth questions about the work, I would quickly come back to her and say, hey, let's take this to email so that it's documented. We know where those channels are, right? Um, like some people use Slack versus text. Same thing. Like if you're texting me about it, like let's move it to Slack because I want to keep record of this. I want to know where this information is. This is really for your benefit, not just mine, but um, so that you can also know where that information is housed later on. I think the social media piece, you know, I have a lot of clients who follow me on social media, but I specifically have those separate accounts, right? I have my personal account that does not cross over. If clients try to friend request me on my personal account, I will point them in the direction of my public accounts. Like you can still message me through my public accounts. You can still, you know, send me mm -hmm. funny memes. Like, because that's the nature of the work that I'm doing. You can comment on my stuff. That's great. Um, same thing with LinkedIn. LinkedIn gets a little trickier because it is a crossover space. Like it's such a business forward space mm -hmm. um, that sometimes people do message me on LinkedIn, but I'm very quick again to say, what's your email address? Let me email you. So we can mm -hmm. continue this conversation over on that other, in that other space that feels better. Um, and then I also know that I can look that information up later. I know for me, that sounds simple, it becomes more challenging if you haven't set that boundary and then it's coming at you and you feel like I'm it's whack-a-mole, right? Like how do I say this to all of these different people if that's happening or how do I keep them at bay? Um, so it might be a disclaimer, but I just highly recommend, it doesn't have to be in your contract, but I would recommend in that initial, your first call with them, your first session with them, that you add that to your list of things that you want to talk about in terms of expectations. How are we going to communicate? Because it is going to be a big part of your relationship together. It's also a space to ask them, you know, like, not to say like they need to approve that communication style, but just to say like, do you understand? Does this make sense? Like make sure that you're getting their buy-in in that process. That they fully understand it. So it's worth a conversation, not just like a line in an email. Another thing too, you can hide your friends list on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I have clients that I'm actually friends with and have known for 15 years. Mm. They are on my friends list. But if a potential client or someone I met at a networking event, they're like, oh, well, she's friends with so-and-so, but it's a childhood friend of mine who yeah. happens to also be a client. I do, I, it comes back to that people pleasing is I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and say, well, I'm friends with this person, but not friends with you because we have a social relationship that came before our business relationship or vice versa. So at least in the past, you used to be able to hide your friends list from people who weren't friends. And I think that sometimes is a good idea. Yeah. And, but I, I appreciate what you said about like acknowledging the people pleasing part of it. And sometimes it's like, how do I even respond to this? And some people just like decline the request. I would definitely recommend messaging that person and saying, mm -hmm. You know, obviously, if it is a current client or even a prospective client, just to say, thanks so much for reaching out via X platform. Mm -hmm. I have a business account here. I'd love to make sure that you connect with me there. Like, you're not even mm -hmm. saying no if that is hard for you to do, but like, just direct them in an, to another place. And you would actually be surprised. Like, this happened to me actually when I was working at a school because we had a no friends with parents policy, right? I was an administrator mm -hmm. and I had parents that wanted to be my friend. Now, mind you, my child was a student at the school. Oh. And so those parents 
were also friends of mine, but I had to set a very clear boundary for them. It was for their benefit, but I also didn't want to get wrapped up in any drama that I shouldn't have been. Like I wanted to stay out of it. So there was a couple parents who sent me a request and I was very quick to say, no, you know what? I'm, this is why I'm doing this. And their response was like, oh my gosh, that makes total sense. Like I totally get it. Like they understood. And Mm -hmm. I would say we are usually nervous about the 1%. We're nervous about the 1% that's going to take offense. That's going to be. And I always tell my clients, because there's a lot of fear around things like this, that's a them problem. Like if they're pissed off at you, they're angry at you, Mm -hmm. that's on them, right? That's with any boundary. Sure. If they are struggling in that moment to respect your boundary, that's a them problem. And you might not be able to help them through that. They're going to have to deal with that. Is there repercussions? Will they get angry? Will they tell other people what kind, right? If that's all the fear we're holding on to, um, we need to remember that the other 99% of people are going to be supportive and understanding and just fine with it, even apathetic towards it, right? Like they're not going to care. Don't let let that 1%, that fear of that 1% of angry or aggressive or defensive people um, guide your decision-making around things like that. I think that's a good point to maybe go a little further into is when you do start putting a boundary in place, and maybe this is a little more social versus your your business, or maybe it's with coworkers or your employees, and you do get pushback. It's really hard to not, as I started doing this, to not feel like you are being either selfish, not a team player, all the things that make it feel like. I just want to do what I want to do and I don't want to help anyone and I don't want to be your friend and I'm not going to communicate with you on the weekends. Really, it's for your health and your mental health and your sanity and to be able to be a better business owner, friend, et cetera. It's really tough at the beginning to Mm -hmm. start putting those in place and not feeling like you are being a jerk. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I often think about is how, um, I think we've all been in a situation where somebody set a boundary with us, mm-hmm. right? It could have been a family member, colleague, whatever. They set a boundary. You asked them to do something. They said no. And I want us it to think about- It takes you aback, doesn't it? <laughs> the first time it, it takes you, right? at least for me, it Absolutely. takes you back a little and bit. Now, now think about those feelings you had in that moment. And if it was the first time that happened to you, you, you are taken aback. You might have been a little angry. You might have been frustrated. You might have been like, what the heck, right? I'm going to use this as an example, but if you've ever been in a situation, if you're in a in a marriage or in a partnership where your partner is not jumping up to do something that you're like always jumping up to do, whether that's the dishes, maybe I'm thinking household tasks, right? And you look at that person and you're like, must be nice. You're just watching TV and I'm over here scrubbing floors and doing whatever, right? And it's a separate conversation about domestic labor, but the, <laughs> my anger is not actually at him. My anger in that moment is at myself because I haven't communicated my needs. I haven't set a clear boundary. I, right, like I'm actually kind of mad at myself because what he did was decide what he was going to do. He was going to figure out his stuff. And he clearly had set some boundary where he was like, no, I'm not doing that right now. I'm going to do it after I take a nap or after I do this. And my whole point with that is simply when somebody sets a boundary with us and we get upset, sometimes that frustration is with ourselves because we haven't done a good job of setting boundaries. And then we see somebody else doing it. 
And we're a little envious, maybe a little jealous. And so instead of saying, you go, like, well done, I'm going to go figure it out. We are dealing with emotions um, that end up getting misdirected, maybe at Mm -hmm. the other person. So having said that, if we think about now we're setting a boundary and now we're encountering somebody who that's the first time somebody set a boundary with them and they're getting frustrated with us or they push back and say, like, I don't understand. Like, why are you not doing this? Why are you not volunteering? Why are you not? You know, I think that place where we were just barely able to set a boundary. (laughs) Now we're like, I shouldn't have done this. This was a bad idea. Like they're upset with me. They're frustrated with me can make us want to backpedal and suddenly be like, oh, see, anyway, okay, fine. This. I'll do it. Yes, yes. Yes. And instead we need to hold that line. We need to hold that line as tightly as we can. Listen, hear what the person has to say, hold fast to the decision that you made because th- it was never about them. And you need, that's the, that's the conversation in this moment. It was not, it's not about them. It's about you. It's about what your needs are. And you are the only person that knows what you need. Nobody else can decide that for you. You have to be the one to decide it. And allowing that person to make you change your mind is handing over your decision-making to someone else. Um, that's how I always think about it in that moment. Now we're talking about familial relationships and and social relationships. It's a lot harder. I think the stakes are a lot higher. Our emotions are a lot more involved. I think it is much easier in a business setting because there's fewer emotions, but it feels like the stakes are higher if we're talking about acquiring clients or, you know, possibly looking for a promotion, right? We associate like, again, not having boundaries with doing everything, which somehow translates to getting a promotion or more pay or something like that. What I found is that, again, you are the only one that can dictate and set the boundary around how you're going to spend your time. Uh, you have to take you have to take control and ownership of that. When you first mentioned this, the the first thing that came in my mind when I thought of a very specific situation where I did feel taken aback. And when I think about it, it was jealousy. It was how did you just do that? Mm-hmm. I I said yes, and I have to go to this thing, but you're not going to go? Like That's not fair. And then it switched to inspiration. Mm-hmm. Of like, well, darn, go, you go. That is awesome. And then that becomes permission, so to speak, even though, you know, yes, whatever absolutely. It, is, it feels like permission to be able to do that yourself. And it it's a place of inspiration of, okay, well then maybe I'll try that. Maybe next time they ask me, I'm going to say it the way she said it. And I'm still friends with the person. It was fine. And I feel like this is our place as business owners to inspire other women to be able to do this themselves. So when they call me and they ask me something and I say, this is the way it's done. Would you like this? Yes or no. That is then modeling to them this is what that looks like. Mm -hmm. I didn't offer you a discount off the top. I didn't hem and haw and say, if you want, it's okay if you don't. I said, this is my price. And that's modeling to newer business owners or younger women. This is how you set boundaries with confidence. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where I just said, it's okay if you don't want to. I used to do that. Like, it's no pressure, you know, just if you want to, if it's a good fit, love to work with you, you know, and I don't say that anymore because I feel like that is their decision. The outcome is not up to me. Mm-hmm. That doesn't help them make a better decision. Are there phrases that you see women in business or just women in general use that you would wish they use something different or is actually not very productive, even though it's in that nice space of I'm being nice? 
Um, so we talk a lot about like the apologizing, right? The over-apologizing of women. And I think most of us get it. Not all of us have made the transition to moving off of that. I just quickly, I'll just say that uh, instead of apologizing, right, using gratitude in place of it. So not, I'm so sorry it took me so long to get back to you with this email, but thank you for your patience. Thank you for mm -hmm. your patience and getting back to you. So that's a that's one I think we hear a lot about. The one that I first witnessed with a client, and she'll she'll be laughing if she listens to this podcast. I'll probably send it to her. Was I heard her? We were having a conversation about some non promotable tasks, some things that she was being asked to do that weren't really getting her anywhere, and it was like busy work, and she was already overwhelmed. And her boss asked her to do something that was ridiculous, and she's like, "Well, I looked at her and I was like, well, I mean, I'd be happy to, but." I have all these other things to do. I said, what did you just say? And she said, well, I'd be, I'd be happy to. I was like, are you, are you, are you, would you really be happy to do that? And she's like, uh, no, no. It's like, well, why did you say that then? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and it was like, <laughs> and so we ha ended up having this really great breakthrough conversation around this language and it's a like, well, I'd be happy to. Like, I have to be gleeful and joyful about everything that you ask me to do, uh, right? And and so many times we're asked to do things by our bosses. I'm not saying that you have a choice. You might be like expected to do this thing. But the second that you start using language like, oh, I'd be happy to do that. And with a smile, when inside you're like, this is the bane of my existence. I never want to have to do this again. And I'm just going to get through it. So it if you are genuinely happy to do something, good for you. But we have to remember how remember how powerful language is. And if you say this on repeat with things that you don't want to be doing, the people around you in your organization or in your own company that are working for you hear you say it, they will believe it. If you say, I'm happy to do something, people will believe it. What are they going to do if they think you're happy to do it? They're going to keep giving it to you. They're going to keep mm -hmm. asking you she to do it. She likes doing it. She loves How it. How often do you hear that? Oh, she loves to do it. We don't need to pay her. She actually really likes doing this kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Which leads right to this next point, which is just because you love something. So let's flip it over, right? Like this is the bane of my existence. I'm actually saying I'm happy to do it, but like I'm not happy to do it. Then there are things that you genuinely love to do. We want to make sure that you do express that with greater emphasis that like, I want to be doing this. I enjoy this. Say those things out loud. Like make sure the people who are around you and in your space know what you want to be doing. I think sometimes when we're even meeting with clients, sometimes like we're so focused on their needs that we don't always talk about what our strengths are, like where we can really help them. And sometimes like, yes, listen to their needs, make sure you're addressing and meeting their needs. But sometimes we have a special gift that it's like, hey, I really love doing this work with clients. They might be like, oh, that's lovely. Not my, not what I need. Or they might be like, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. I would love to do that. And then you get the opportunity to do more of what you love. And also just because you love it doesn't mean you should get paid less for it. We sometimes mm -hmm. assume because we enjoy it, because we love it, that somehow it has less monetary value. And I would actually offer it's the opposite. Like if you really love what you're doing and you're passionate about it, it probably means that you're doing it all the time. It's probably encompassing more of your day um, than some of the other things that you're doing. And therefore you should be paid compensated for that. But mm -hmm. I think that is a bigger testament to women's labor in general, child rearing, do I love being a mom? Yes. Is it painful and taxing and stressful? And yes, also yes, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
would I have loved to have been paid to be a stay-at-home mom? Yeah, I think most moms would be like, this is a full-time job that should be paid $150,000 a year. So what I mean by that is, so women's labor in general is undervalued um, by society. Don't let that be the narrative in your head when you're setting your prices. Just because you love being a parent doesn't mean you shouldn't be compensated or appreciated for it. Just because you love being a coach or a consultant or a chiropractor doesn't mean that you shouldn't be compensated for your skill and expertise and labor. A phrase that I've started using with my family, because we are a long line of people pleasers (laughs) and our family actually has very low drama and very loving. But in that same breath, we don't want to put anyone out. We don't want to ask anyone for help if we don't think they want to do it or it's not convenient. And it's come, it comes from a place of honestly, just loving the other person. Yeah. So what the phrase I've started using is trust my yes. Mm -hmm. If I say yes to something, it means either I will enjoy it or it will bring me joy to help you with this thing. And I'm not doing it out of obligation or resentment. So if I say yes, you don't have to do all the things after it of, but if you don't want to, it's okay. Or if you're busy, it's okay. If I say yes, trust it that I really honestly am choosing to do this thing with a good heart. Say yes to things that you don't want to do, then you're resentful. And no one, like I don't want anyone to say yes to me and then be crabby and mad at me to do it. Absolutely. I love that so much because imagine living in a space where that was how we could function all the time, right? Like I think about so oftentimes I'm working with women leaders and we're talking about mentorship and I'll say to them, you know, do you have a mentor? Have you thought about reaching out to somebody? Oh, well, I thought of somebody, but they're so busy. I don't even want to bother them. And their assumption is that like this person who's incredibly busy would say yes when they didn't have the time. And I'm like, you need to trust that if that person says yes to you, that they have the time and that if they say no, it means that they don't. And it's not personal. It's that they are overwhelmed, but like give them the chance, give that person the chance to make that decision Mm -hmm. and then trust their answer. Trust that if they say yes, that they have the time. And if they say no, that they do not. And that's the end of it because we can just kind of create that very clear communication and then move on from it. But I love what you said about when it doesn't feel clear or somebody starts backpedaling, then we start to question. And if you say yes to things and don't mean yes, then you're going to assume other people are doing that as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you overextend yourself and say yes, even when you don't really want to, then looking for a mentor, you're going to assume they do the, they're going to do the same thing and you're going to be the quote unquote burden and they're not going to want to meet with you. And yes, maybe I should pay them millions of dollars and never mind. I just won't even ask. Yeah, absolutely. We'll go more into detail with all of this at the conference and talking more about the, the next step of now that you know, maybe what you don't want Mm-hmm. and what your expectations are. How do you move forward to negotiate or ask for what you want in a confident way, what words you can use, how you can say it? And that will all be at the conference on February 29th. In the meantime, where can people find you, Rebecca? You can find me on LinkedIn. It's under my last name, Malatki Meslin, um, or I have a pleasantly aggressive page on LinkedIn as well. But really, I'm pleasantly aggressive everywhere. So you can go to my website to find out more information. Um, My handle is pleasantly aggressive on Facebook and on Instagram. You can follow me there and message me there as well. 
Okay. And we'll put those links in the show notes and also a link to be able to come meet Rebecca in person. She always does a fantastic presentation with a lot of interaction and things to make you think. So join us at the conference and I can't wait to see you in person again. I'm excited. Thanks so much, Robin. Yes. All right. Well, we will see you there. 